You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Running through the yard, going on vacation, on the credit card. All in this together, we're taking a chance. Daughters, family, like a photograph, baptized in the water, family, you put me on the map. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Kensington. We're so glad you're with us here today, whether that's in person or online. I'm Joel Leiprin, and I'm the lead pastor of our Traverse City campus. I've had the privilege of leading in TC for the past year. I came on board only a few months before the pandemic, and although it's been pretty weird, it's been so good. Together, we've had to really rethink what it means to be the body of Christ, and we're growing because of it. In case you're watching now from one of our downstate campuses, know that your TC brothers and sisters are so passionate about being on this mission with you to reach the one. Something is happening next weekend that we're pumped up about. We're holding on-site baptisms at all of our campuses. It's crazy to think that November 2019 was the last time that some of our campuses were able to do baptisms in-house. Another cool thing, this includes our Birmingham campus. This will be their very first Sunday meeting back in person. So excited for you guys and the opportunity you have. I'd love for you to consider being baptized. If you feel nudged, this is one of the most exciting and beautiful things to see someone publicly declare that they've surrendered their heart to Jesus. In TC, we go absolutely nuts when we see someone come up out of that water, symbolizing that they're a new creation and they're resurrected with Christ. Maybe you have some questions regarding baptism and where Kensington stands. Here's a video that'll help us all understand the personal significance of baptism and some answers to some frequently asked questions. 
There can be a lot of questions when it comes to baptism. If I was baptized as an infant, do I need to be baptized again? What is the correct way to be baptized? Who can baptize me? Why is it so important? Plus a few more questions you may have. At Kensington, we believe baptism is one of the most powerful experiences a believer of Jesus will experience in their life. So let's spend some time together to get a better understanding of what this 2,000-year-old tradition is all about. Let's start with, what is baptism? Baptism is simply an outward expression of an inward commitment to follow Jesus. Baptism doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. It's a symbol of the commitment that you've already made to follow him. Think of it a little bit as a wedding ring. The ring doesn't make you married. It shows everyone around you that you've made a lifetime commitment to your spouse. So, if baptism doesn't make you a Christian, then why is it so important? Let's look at the words of Jesus. In the book of Matthew, Jesus says, therefore go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Those were the words Jesus had for his disciples, and we believe those are the words that Jesus has for us. Jesus established this as an ordinance of the church so that we wouldn't keep our faith private, but to go public and share them with the community. If you're wondering, when should I be baptized? Let me ask you a question. Have you put your faith in the claim that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for your sins, and that he rose again, defeated death, so that you can have hope for all eternity? If you have, then now is a great time for you to be baptized. And it doesn't matter what age you are, whether you're 10 years old, 25, 50, or even 80, you may think that I'm not spiritual enough or I have a long way to go. But baptism is not a symbol that you have arrived. It's a symbol that you decided to begin a relationship with Jesus. You may be wondering how Kensington baptizes people. Do we fully immerse, which means to put under, or do we do the sprinkling method? For the most part, we immerse. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians, baptism is buried in the likeness of Jesus and raised to walk in newness of life. This indicates going under the water and coming up. Now, if you're not able to be fully immersed for whatever reason, we don't want that to be an obstacle in your decision to be baptized. We will do the sprinkling method. What matters most is what it symbolizes, your decision to follow Jesus. So who can baptize you? It can be anyone who is a follower of Jesus. When you read the Bible, you will see men and women who were ordinary people, not ordained, without clergy credentials or formally trained, baptizing people. So at Kensington, you'll see teaching pastors and other staff members participating in our baptisms. But you also see regular, ordinary, non-ordained people participating as well. So if you have a family member, friend, or a small group leader who is an active follower of Christ, they would be a great choice to be the one to baptize you. Baptism is so beautiful and emotional because of what it signifies, life change. The moment a person comes up out of the water represents a brand new person. All the past and the mistakes, all of it is left behind. We are buried in the likeness of Jesus. The old person is gone. And when we come up, it's like the resurrection of Jesus and we walk in the new life. Hopefully this helped in answering some of the questions you may have. Now, if you're thinking, I'm just not ready yet, that's totally fine. Stay on the journey and keep investigating. But if you're ready, we would love for you to sign up today. We can't wait to share and celebrate this incredible experience with you.
We can't wait to witness these moments of life change within our communities. Please don't delay. If you're feeling compelled to take this step of faith and declare your commitment to follow Jesus, go to kensingtonchurch.org slash baptism to register now. Today, we're in week three of our series, The Family, and we're calling today's service, Float Them Down the River. You may be wondering, like, what in the world does that mean? Well, we're about to find out. Thanks so much for joining us today. Well, good morning. Oh, you guys are wide awake and ready to go. Uh, welcome to everyone here. Everyone on stream, we always say hi to you. You know that. So on the count of three, one, two, three. Hello, we are so glad that you're joining. I know that the Kensington community is being uh, highlighted, the Troy service being highlighted to all of you, so we're so glad that you're joining us wherever you are. Well, it was great to hear from Joel Liprand. I don't know if you've watched him up in Traverse City on our stream. It'd be great if you did, but he came in to leave that, just like he said, a few months before the pandemic. So it has been just such an interesting journey, but wow, he has done an amazing job leading Traverse City Campus. They are flourishing. They love him, and he loves them, and it's been a great journey. So glad to hear uh, from TC. And he was talking about baptisms, and I really want to encourage you, if this is your time, if you've been sitting in the seats, in fact, uh, between services, last service, I was talking to someone, and they're right on the fence, and I'm like, let's go, you know, jump in, let's, let's move this journey along, you know, God is working in you. So if that's you, please sign up, go on our website, talk to any of us out in the lobby at any of our campuses, or send something in online, we'd love to connect with you there. Well, like Joel said, we're in this third week of the, season, of the series that we're calling The Family, and the first week we talked about uh, our fathers, our earthly fathers. Andrew did a great job here at Troy to really draw our attention to our relationship with our earthly fathers and how that can actually impact our relationship with our heavenly father. And we knew that no matter what your relationship was with your father, that you find your true identity and your true heart in your heavenly father. If you haven't seen that message, go back and watch week one. It's really worth your time. And then last week, we got to hear from Dave and Ann Wilson. Dave and Ann Wilson, obviously, are founding pastors of Kensington. They work full-time at Family Life now, and they released their second book called No Perfect Parents. They were here last week, and they walked through all of their, I mean, they are just master teachers. They really are. If you, if you haven't bought their book, I would encourage you. They walked through the whole book last week. And uh, just go online, Amazon.com, No Perfect Parents. In last service, there was someone here, she has a three-year-old, read the book, and she's like, okay, now I'm getting a mission statement for my three-year-old. I need a mission statement. You know, she's going to be a warrior. You know, I'm like, wow. You know, they're on fire. So go back and watch that. And then today, we're actually looking at a really specific part of uh, Scripture in the beginning of the second book. And it's really talking about the idea of surrender, about trust. In fact, the, the, the phrase that uh, Joel used was, float them down the river. And so what does that mean? What does that mean that we hold on to things instead of releasing them out? into the water, into Christ, letting them go and trusting and having faith build up in us. And so the team thought it'd be a good idea to sing something over our community to start to make room in our hearts. You know, I've said this a number of times over this season. It's hard to have moments like this, moments where we gather, we can listen to a word of scripture, we can listen to song and we can breathe for a minute and actually have a communal moment where God can speak to our hearts. But in order to do that, we need to make room. So on the count of three, I'm going to have you breathe in and we're going to breathe out. Ready? One, two, three. And just rest. This song says, God, make room in our hearts. Push away the things that we've brought in. Make room. And as we make room, we really do believe that God is going to speak to us individually and as a community. 
Lord, we do pray that. We pray that you move things out, move our plans out of the way, move our doubt, move our fear, our anger, our jealousy, our burdens. Anything we came in with, Lord, we ask that you just push it out and you make a room, you make a moment, you make a little space in our community holistically and in individuals' hearts so that you speak. Lord, we long to hear a truth from you. We long to hear you speak to our hearts. We long to feel and see you. Lord, we know that when you speak into our lives that there is life that starts to take root. That's what we desire today. So Lord, move that out. Protect this space. Speak to us and have us have a movement of your spirit that will lead to greater trust and greater faith individually and collectively. Thank you, Lord. We're so grateful for what you're doing and already have done and will do in the future. We pray this in Jesus' name and we say, amen. Would you please give them another huge hand? Thanks, guys. Audrey, I could feel that today. Whew. You're singing. It's beautiful. Well, that, that, that is a, a great prayer for us to start. Sometimes it's just great to start and say, Lord, move. Make room. Make room. Prepare our hearts. Because as we prepare, God is going to plan something there. I really do believe that. Uh, as, we, as we continue on, we're going to receive our offering. If you've come prepared uh, to take part in this, thank you. You know, there's this there's really is a moment for our, the people that call this home, that are part of a movement that really wants to go out and change the world in the name of Jesus. We invest not only our time and talent, Angie, but we invest our resources. And so this is an act of worship for us. If you're brand new, uh, you can take part in this moment if you'd like, uh, but certainly you don't have to, but we welcome you to if you'd like. And then certainly on stream, you know that uh, we're not passing the pouch here in the room either, but we have a number of different ways that we give online. We've been doing this for a lot of years now that we've been doing electronic giving and it turned out to be such a blessing during this past year. I'll tell you something, there has been so much need in the last 13 or 14 months and this community in general over all the time that Amy and I have been here, 21 years, is one of the most generous communities that I know rooted in the name of Jesus. You guys really have just been incredible. It has allowed us to not only impact our region here across this state and country, but also our global partners around the world. So thank you for investing. This is how we do it. Uh, we text 77977 to Kensington. You can download our app and be part of it there. You can also download the app and it'll connect you to everything Kensington. Go to our website. You can mail something here. Or when you leave, there's little buckets too and you can take part in that. But thank you so much for your generosity. Well, I don't know about you, but for me, many times when I'm preparing for a weekend or a message or a time that I have to really present something, it's pretty much weekly for me, sometimes multiple times a week, and I'm reading through scripture and I'm studying, which I do every week, and as I'm reading a particular scripture for a particular weekend, I cannot tell you the percentage of times that the actual scripture and the lesson that I'm learning, I'm going through that exact week, that same thing. And this week was no different. And I was just looking up to God. I go, you got to be kidding me. I'm teaching on something that actually, in my mind, is more for me probably than you. And I have to stand up here and admit that I'm struggling in this area as a follower of Jesus. But I'm grateful as I'm reading his scripture and learning some of the things that he's showing me, I'm anxious to share them with you because I really am going through it and I'm learning that this is something so central to faith. And here's what I found. I found many times that in the church community, Christian community, we always come up with these little sayings. And one of the sayings that bothers me is, 
let go and let say. Do you know it? Let go and let, let go and let God. And I always look at them, I'm like, come on, really? I just gotta let go and let God. It's like the Jesus take the wheel. Jesus take the wheel, what? You know, you know? And I always see these phrases, and I always think they're nice little, you know, pithy phrases, but they're kind of cliche, and they, they, they kind of minimize the depth of faith and how hard it is and all those things. But you know what I'm struggling with this week? Letting go and letting God. I'm like this. I'm holding on. And I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I was talking to Andrew Kim, our teaching pastor here in between services, and I was telling him all the things that I'm kind of navigating. And I'm like this, and my wife, I'm driving my wife crazy. It's my wife, Amy, over here. I'm driving her crazy. She's like, would you please let go? You know better. Let go and surrender. I'm like, I can't do it. I don't know if you're like that. I don't know if you've come in today like this, holding on to something really tight. And I don't tell you these things about my life to make it about me at all. I tell you about this because I just want you to know that if you're brand new here and you just showed up and you don't know about Jesus, I'm grateful that you're here. If you're 70, 80 years old and you've been following Jesus your whole life, that's beautiful, but it's a journey. And it doesn't matter what age you are, there's always gonna be moments where you're gonna do this. You say, I can't let it go. I don't know how to let it go and release it to God. And here's what I know. Faith is a journey. Faith is a process that we go through. It doesn't matter how long you follow God. God is always bigger and wider, always showing us deeper levels of faith. And, and at the very core of faith is an ability to say, I trust God. I trust God. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, the author writes in Hebrews 11 that the great people of faith are celebrated, and they're celebrated for a particular reason. Listen to what it says, and it defines faith. Now, faith is confidence. This is how they define faith in Scripture, Hebrews 11. Faith is confidence of what we hope for, a deep assurance, a deep assurance about what we cannot see. We have this confidence of what we can hope for, and we have this assurance of what we can't quite see yet. And then it says, this is what the ancients were commended for. These are the great people of faith. They are great because they had hope, and they had confidence in that hope, and they had assurance for all the things that they can't quite see yet. And I would say this to you, no area of my life, and I would say my wife and I's life, have we felt this kind of struggle and wait to let go and let God more than raising our children? Holy cow, man. Raising our children, so much of our children's life, we're like, no, like, you know, like control them, control. And, and of course, when they're little, you have to control a lot more. But as they grow up, boy, that control thing does not work. You know, try to control a teenager, good luck. It's like a wild animal, you know, it's, it's, it's wild. But it's always this journey. And I, kept, I started thinking about the journey of our children. You know, they're in their 20s and 30s now. And, and I, I remember the first time, I don't know if, if we were in Chicago. I think we were in Chicago where I was. And, uh, and we were with our, our son. And the first time he moved towards me, he took a step towards me. And I was laying on the floor and he was there. And I'm like, come on, come on. And then you're like, ooh, you know. And you, and you, you want to reach out and control it. And you want to grab him and say, no, 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 don't fall. You know? But you have to let them fall and struggle to get back up to then to learn to walk. And you always have that battle with control. Or the first time they rode a bike, it's kind of the similar thing. Is they're like this and they're wiping out. And you want to grab it and you want to hold it. And you do for a while. But then you take your hands off of it. And then that moment where they back out of the driveway for the very first time, wow. I mean, everything's shaking. You just, can I control this on my iPhone somehow? You know, can I be in that seat with them and control their driving? And then, of course, this past summer, walking my daughter down the aisle. 
getting to the end of the aisle and releasing her to her husband, to our son Aaron. It's this whole life of holding on and letting go. Holding on and letting go. You know, there's about 10, I would say maybe about 10 clear moments that I can think of in my life where I felt like God spoke to me clearly, not in an audible voice. God speaks to me in impressions and those kinds of things, but when he really speaks, he gives me a clear thought in my mind that is not my thought. And God spoke to me about our children years ago. I was at the airport with my wife. She was actually going to a third world country to fight for an adoption of our daughters. It was 2005. There was, there was very, a lot of tension around it. She was going by herself. She was meeting someone we didn't know. It was, we, 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 were, <laughs> we were very confident in what we hoped for. We were very assured of what we could not see, but there was still this kind of real tension there. I was worried about my wife going. And we get to the airport. She goes through all the lines, and she gets through the checkout. And at the time, I don't know if it's still there, but there's this little space where you could watch everyone, and then that little space you could put your head through a long ways down. And just before the elevator goes down, you could see the person for the last time. So I'm waiting there, waiting there, and all of a sudden Amy's there, she turns, she gives me a smile like only my wife can, she's an incredible smile, and she waves goodbye, and as she starts to go down the, the escalator, I'll never forget the standing in, in, the, in, the, in the airport, I hear God say, and someday I'll ask for your children too. And it was this, I can feel it even when I say it, it's this unbelievable presence of God saying, someday I'm gonna ask for your kids. Someday you're going to do this fully and say, go. And I can't tell you, that was 16 years ago. And we've watched, haven't we, that we have to continually, even to this day, even this week, we're continually like this. Okay, God, because I'm like this. Let me ask you something today. What is it in your life right now that you're like this? What did you walk in with today that you're kind of gripping and you're not sure about and you have fear about and you're not sure how to deal with it and you're holding it like this and you can't quite open it and you can't quite release it and it's a burden in your heart? What is it? What are you holding on to? You know, I like, uh, I don't know how many of you have ever heard of Corey Ten Boom, but uh, she wrote a book called The Hiding Place. How many have read the book The Hiding Place? A couple of you have. If you haven't, you should read it. Corey Ten Boom, or Corey Ten Boom was an incredible Christian leader during World War II. Uh, she actually hid people from the Nazi regime to the point where she got arrested and put into a concentration camp. She survived that, but her stories and her wisdom are so deep. So it's worth reading that book. But she says this about holding things tightly. She says, hold everything in your hands lightly. Otherwise, it hurts when God pries your fingers open. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> Hold it lightly because at some point, the Lord's just gonna go, rit, 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 give me this, you know? Because he knows that we're not made to carry deep burdens like that. He knows we're not made for that. We're made to carry burdens in a community and we're made to release them to God. In fact, one of the scriptures says that we are, as a community, supposed to shoulder each other's burdens but the full burden rests on the Lord. And so a faith community, that's one of our beautiful things that we get to do as a community rooted in Christ. And so today, as I'm learning this, this week in real time, we're gonna look at a passage of scripture found in the second book. Second book of the Bible is Exodus. And we're gonna look at a particular perspective through five women, through the eyes and the faith of five women. One called Shifra. One called Pua, one called Jochebed, 
one called Miriam, and then an unknown daughter of a Pharaoh. And through their faith and through their compassion, God does something extraordinary. And just so all of us know here in this room and, and on stream, at the end of the day, we're going to take communion. And so if you have anything uh, in your home, you don't need anything fancy. The early church, had, whatever they had in their home, they would use. So I would just say if you have some bread, crackers, water, juice, whatever you have, great. If you've come in today, you know that we've given you those little tricky little cups, communion cups. If you didn't get one, I need you to raise your hand and our ushers will bring uh, one to you. And so don't be shy, raise your hand. And then also, uh, when you walked in, you should have received a piece of paper and a pen. If you didn't receive that, I know it's kind of old school, but there's a reason for it. Uh, I would love you to raise your hand and have the ushers can bring you one of those as well. But I just wanted you to prep. As we move into this teaching, we've got a couple of things that we really want you to focus on. So in this moment in history, in between the first book, Genesis, and Exodus, there's a space of time that some believe somewhere anywhere between 250 and 400 years, roughly. And at the end of Genesis, we know that it ends with the death of Joseph. Now, Joseph was a Hebrew or Israelite that was sold into slavery by his brothers, but God used his life and raised him up to be second in command only next to Pharaoh. And so he's got an extraordinary uh, life and, and leadership life. He had an incredible impact and a flourishing that was happening at that time. But now, centuries later, we're in a different space. And the Israelite or God's people are now being oppressed by the Egyptian rule. And God, by the way, said this was going to happen. And now it's starting to happen in this moment. But God has a rescue plan, a liberation plan for his people. But it starts with these acts of incredible faith, incredible courage, incredible letting go from several brave women. Let's read Exodus 1. And then Joseph died and all his brothers and that whole generation. But the Israelites were fruitful and they were prolific and they multiplied and they grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. So the Israel people or God's people were flourishing at this moment in time. Now a king arose over Egypt who did not know the legacy of Joseph. And he said this to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase, and in the events of a war, they will join our enemies, and they will fight against us, and they will escape from this land. Therefore, he put in a whole plan. He set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. So we have a king that has come in with a lot of authority and a lot of power. He doesn't know the history of what's happened there. And now he wants to lord his power over God's people. And he puts systems and leaders in place that are going to oppress and push down on God's people and force them into these enslavement work camps. And this earthly king is living in the fear of losing his power losing his earthly authority, not realizing what he is doing to the people around him. You know, the older I get, the more I realize something that everything seems to come down to power. Everything seems to come down to power. Within scripture, you see it. In the beginning of Genesis 1 and 2, it said that God shared his power and creation happened and life happened. But then when he shared his power with actual humankind, they took that power and they twisted it. And right in the beginning of scripture, you start to see the demise of power, people powering over, setting and coming under and empowering. 
And so you see this with this king. He's got a lot of power. And you look and you say, who uses power well? That's what I usually ask. Who has the power and who's going to use that power wisely? Who will empower those around them and lift them up? Or who will use their power to actually overpower them around them and control people and use it for harm? And this king, this king is wielding his power irresponsibly and he's harming people and controlling people. He would be what we would call an informed to control leader, not an equipped to release leader. That's always a little phrase that I've used for years. As parents, we should be equipped to release, not informed to control. Even me as a leader for you, I need to be equipped to release, not informed to control. We're not controlling a community. We're equipping a community so they go out and release and take God. You're empowered to do that. But this king, no. He's going to protect his authority and his earthly power by any means. And you would think that enslaving a people would be enough, but he takes it further. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives one of whom's name was Shifra and the other one was Pua. When you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and you see them on the birth stool because they used, to have, they used to birth when they were sitting up or standing up, if it's a boy, you're to take his life. But if it's a girl, you shall let them live. And it says this, but the midwives feared God. Say that line, but the midwives feared God. Say it a little bit more. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. This is actually an amazing release and act of courage. These two, Shifra and also Pua, they are midwives, but they're probably over all of the midwives. They're the leaders of all the midwives. They have a lot of influence, but they're unlikely heroes, and they're responsible for bringing life into the world but yet they're being asked by this evil king to take the life, the very thing that they are made to do, which is to receive life and bring life into the world, they're asking to do the opposite. And here they are, these unlikely heroes, politically powerless, socially look, probably looked down upon, economically disadvantaged, yet they defy the highest ruler in the land. You have to understand, these are women in a patriarchal culture pressing against the highest power that you could ever imagine and disobeying, knowing that by doing that, they will lose their lives more than likely. Yet they defied it. Why? It said because the midwives feared God. That word feared there, if you press deeper and deeper into it, it actually means a deep reverence. It's not fear like you're thinking more than likely. It's not this cowering fear. It's this deep reverence, knowing who God really is, that God is this God of the avenger of the wrongdoing. And why having that reverence and living that way, it actually leads to godly and upright decisions and the right decisions rooted in God. This is what the kind of faith is being displayed here by these midwives. The midwives, out of the deep love and respect and reverence and fear of God, did the right thing, even at the expense of their lives and their family's life. They knew that what they were being asked to do was not something that is God-honoring. They had tremendous faith, and they opened their hands, and they released it to God. And Shifra and Puah had no idea, no knowledge of what this was actually going to lead to. They just did the right thing. They did the right thing in this moment. Because why? Because they're connected to God. They fear God. They know what's of God and they're going to do what's of God. They had no idea that this was the very first step in God's plan to liberate all his whole nation. And these women were the ones out of their faith that would move this plan 
along. Here's what I would say to you today. Our acts of obedience right now, these little simple acts of opening up something in this moment, which is going to happen today, that God is going to put something on your heart and you're going to open it up and you're going to release it to God. That simple act of faith in our life can lead to something extraordinary in the future. We may never even see it. But it has ripples. Our faith, these moments of faith in our life, have ripples, sometimes through centuries, just these moments, these everyday acts of obedience because we have this deep reverence and love of God. And so the king calls them and summons them. Now you can imagine the highest power in the land summoning these two women, and they're coming and they know what is probably going to happen to them. They have incredible courage as they go against the king. And he said, why have you done this? And allowed the boys to live. And I love their response. And the midwife said to Pharaoh, this was their response, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous, and they give birth before the midwife comes to them. I love their answer. They're like, well, they're vigorous, and boom, they, they, their children are out before we could ever get there. Not like the Egyptians. You know, I, I thought about that with you, Amy, where the first pregnancy of Daniel, our, our first son, um, I don't know, how many hours were you in labor? 15, 16? It was like something like that. And it was hard. And then our sister-in-law, Gina, she has three, we have two boys, and they have three children, a biological. And Gina, she said, well, I, I just go in, I have these pains, when water breaks, I go there, Boom. Hour later, it's out. <laughs> and he's like, darn it. You know, but that's this moment. They're saying, hey, our Hebrew women are pretty vigorous. They know how to do this. And it's so funny because you know what God did? Even Whether they're lying or not fully telling the truth, it says that God dealt well with them. He blessed them. He dealt well with them. And the people multiplied. And they became very strong. And because of the midwife's faith, it says that God gave. He blessed them. I found out that most of the time when we do this, God does this. But I'll tell you one thing. Can't do this much. <laughs> but when we do this, many times I've found that to be true. Now Pharaoh, out of fear again of losing his power, not out of fear of God, but out of fear of losing his own authority and his own power, he's just, he, he notches and ratchets up his plan. Then Pharaoh commanded all of his people not just a few, but all of his people, every boy that is born to the Hebrews shall be thrown into the Nile River, but let every girl live. It says in Exodus 2 that there was a man from the house of Levi who went and married a Levite woman. And the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she got up a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the Nile River. People are living in fear of this king. He has put out an edict that says, you must take care of all baby boys. And this mother is guarding her child as he's being born in this time. And I'll tell you what, I can understand the idea of Having it being hard to hide a three-month-old for <laughs> three-month-olds, right? Three-month-olds are loud. I don't even know how she got that far in. But for three months, she hit him and knew that she could no longer hide this baby. And this is Moses' mother. We found out later that her name is Jochebed. And Jochebed has a plan. She makes this basket. And here's something interesting I found out this week that I didn't know. The word for basket in this scripture is the same word that they use for the Ark of Noah. 
And it's only used in two parts of scripture, for the ark of Noah and for this little ark that she is making for the one that will deliver God's people. It's interesting to me that that has some significance that, that God would use the same word for the ark of Noah, which is to save all of humanity, and yet now is using the same word as she's building this little ark for the person that's actually going to come and deliver people into freedom for God. It's a nice little tidbit that I had never seen before in Scripture. And this mother releases her child into the hands of God by her faith. Can you imagine that, that moment where you push out your child and say, okay, Lord, here I release this child to you. Many of you can. I look out and I know some of you. I know some of the situations where you've had to do this with your children in the most extreme situations. And it's hard to go like this and to trust God in difficult situations with your children, isn't it? But this mother is releasing and trusting God. You know, we've been through a lot of those situations, even in the past few weeks. And one in particular that, that was, was particularly hard was when our son had a blood clot in his sub, subclavian vein several years ago. And he was a teenager. And his whole arm swelled up, and we had to get him in there. And they found out it was a blood clot, and boom, they were, it all started going really quick. And I think we're, we were in Royal Oboman, I think, and, and uh, they had an experimental thing that they were thinking of doing. It was a pretty significant clot, they thought. And all these, I'll never forget, we're in the room and all of these doctors came. There was three doctors, my parents, Amy and I, and our son on the bed. And they're all deciding what you should do. And one doctor says, don't do anything, give them medicine, send them home. Next doctor says, no, don't do that, do the operation, this is a new thing, this is going to cure it. The next one says, I don't know. You know, you make the decision. My parents had an idea, we had an idea, and our son had an idea. And at one point we said, time out. Amy and I left the room, and I said, let's go down into the little chapel that they have in the hospital. I'd never been there before. We'd go into this chapel, and we decided to pray for half an hour. And at the end of the half hour, we'd ask each other what we heard, and then we'd go back and we'd do that. Luckily, we heard the same thing, <laughs> because if we didn't, that would have been a little tough. But we heard that we should do this operation, and we came back in, and we told people what, you know, what we thought we should do. And one doctor was like, ugh, and the other things, and people didn't know, but we just had to stay the course, because this is what we were going to do. And then we had to release our son to say, hope this is right. <laughs> you know, so it's that ark. It's like putting that in the ark and, and letting it go. And the next morning they did the surgery. And I was so nervous. I think we both were just so nervous thinking, did we make the right decision? And when the doctor came back, he, had, he actually had pictures of the blood clot. And it was supposed to be like this. And it was like this. And he's like, I'm so glad that you guys did this. So glad you made that decision. And he had to go through a number of different surgeries, and he still struggles with stuff now. It didn't work out in this perfect way, but it was that moment that we all have in our lives where with our children in different aspects of our life, we go like this. And, you know, sometimes God has to pry, and it hurts, but we do this. This is that moment for this mother. So my question, again, to you today, to everyone that's on stream, to everyone in this room, what are you holding like this today? What are you holding like this that you need to place into this ark and release it to God? Maybe it is your children, if you're a parent. Maybe it is something that you're dealing with with your children. You know, I, I, one of the phrases that we've always used as parents is, the children are not, not really our children. They really do belong to God. That is the greatest stewardship gift that we could ever have, that God would entrust human beings to us. But ultimately, they're God's. He loves them more than we love them. That's a weird concept, but it's true. And so how do we live that way? Maybe that is 
like that for you. I know that we've gone through many of those times with our family. Maybe it's a job situation. Maybe it's a health situation that you're holding on to. Maybe it's an addiction that you're struggling with. Maybe it's an unforgiveness that you will not let go of. That's probably the hardest, one of the hardest things to let go of. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's this whole season that we've been in. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's the political environment or a dream that you have that hasn't come to fruition or an ambition that you feel like God's put on your heart. What are you holding like this? Because it's that faith that God says that is commendable. That is honorable when you let it go and we celebrate that. In fact, um, Moses' parents are celebrated in Hebrews eleven twenty three. 23. It says this, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. That's that faith. What are you holding on to? What are you going to release? So you have three-month-old baby strategically placed in the river, sitting in the reed bed. And then you have our fourth woman, or should I say young girl, that has incredible faith. And that's Moses' older sister. She's about seven, eight, or nine years old. And, you, and she starts to monitor what's going to happen to her baby brother. Exodus 2. His sister, Miriam, stood at a distance to see what would happen to her brother. The daughter, fifth person, of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her attendants walked beside her. She saw the basket among the reeds, and she sent her maid to bring it to her. And when they opened it, she saw the child, and he was crying, and she took pity on him. I really do believe that the Lord works in our hearts for compassion. So you see these in great works of not only faith, but faith and compassion. And in this instant, God speaks to this person's heart and gives them compassion on this helpless child. And she said, this must be one of the Hebrews' children. And she said, and then, this is my, one of my favorite parts of this little seven or eight or nine-year-old girl. <laughs> All of a sudden, I can imagine that she pops up out of the reeds and she says this, shall I go and get a nurse from the Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? Think about that. This little girl is monitoring her brother, monitoring her brother. Now this powerful Pharaoh's daughter comes and she's waiting, waiting for the opportune moment. And in her courage and in her face, she stands up and goes, hey, I have someone that could nurse this baby. I mean, I know the mom. She's not gonna tell her. I know the mom, we're tight, we're family, but she's not gonna say any of that. But as a little girl, she has this incredible faith. And Pharaoh's daughter to her said this, yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And the Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child and nurse it for me and I will give you wages. Think about this. Here's, here's Moses' mom releasing her child in this absolutely devastating time, this dangerous time. And now she's getting paid to nurse her own child. So she takes... Moses in, and when he grew up, he had, she had to then do this again and release her back to Pharaoh, daughter, and she took him in, and she named him Moses because she had drew him out of water. Moses' mom releases him twice. It's amazing. When we do this, God sometimes goes like this. Not always the same, not what we expect, doesn't mean that when we release something, we're going to get more. God's not a vending machine. That's not how it works in faith. But when we do this, there's a release in our soul, in our spirit, and it's also an opportunity for God to say, here. And I would tell you, from years of following Jesus, when we do this many times, God just says, here, I got something else to put in your hand. When we do this, it's hard to hold. 
in our adoption that we did in 2005, we had some issues and we started that adoption and uh, it took us three, almost four years to get all the paperwork moving and moving and moving. And at one point, the government told us that it's going too slow. And if you don't speed it up, we're going to deny your adoption. And we said, there's, no, there's nothing we could do. You know, we had done everything we could. We were falling in love with our daughters. We were so desperate to get them home, but there was nothing we could do. And in the spring of 2008, we got a big package in the mail, and we opened it up, and it just says, denied. All of the paperwork of our adoption on the American side. We just couldn't believe it. I mean, our hearts were broken. We were angry. We were sad. We, we thought all of this time and energy and what we thought God was saying to us and we thought it was the right thing. And we held like this for about a month or two months. And then finally we learned to just go, okay, we're just going to release this. You know, Amy had way more faith than I did. She was like, something's going to happen. And I was like, no, it's not, you know. And we just had to open up. And when we kind of released it and realized, okay, this is what it is, we took a trip with our two boys. And I think it was June or July. We got back from that trip and we had a lot of mail and we opened up one of the mail and it was the, the, the country, Honduras, had sent us a, a paperwork saying, or maybe it was a phone call from our, our lawyer saying, we've approved your adoption. So now you have a country that's approved it and our country that has denied it and there's no way to get them back into our country, but we have to go there and we have to decide, are we gonna go and adopt them and have no way to get them home, but just trust God or are we just gonna call it all off? And we decided we're going. And we just went. And my wife ended up spending three months there uh, in a hotel room. And I came home with the boys, and it was this crazy time. And when we did this, it was interesting that God just did this. And it didn't, all the, the outcomes weren't perfect. All of those things weren't happening. Some, you know, our daughters did come home at, at certain points, and it was beautiful. But, but what we've found is when you do this, there's an opportunity to God to give you something, to place something in your hand. It was the faith of these women that led to the liberation of a whole nation of God's people. I like how Tony Evans says it. He says it this, about this moment in scripture. All of these women, the midwives, the mother, the sister, and even Pharaoh's daughter, were used by God to cover and care for a child whom God would use to bring about his kingdom purposes. An Israelite child who was supposed to have been executed under royal orders was now being raised in the royal household. A divine irony, the future prophet of God who would bring plagues upon Egypt and lead slaves to freedom was being nurtured right under the oppressor's nose. This river oh, that was supposed to be made for destruction became a river that was meant for deliverance. All of this because of a faithful group of women that had no idea what the outcome was, but were willing to say, here, what are we holding in our hands today? What are we holding in our hands that we need to put into our ark and we need to release them to God? And so here's what we'd like to do, and I'd like to, you to do this at home as well. I'm going to give you some time to press that through a song that we're going to sing over you about surrender. And you got that piece of paper, you got a pencil, you might write it in your phone, but I really thought it would be great if you could write something on a piece of paper. Last service, we had a number of people pass these in because we're going to ask you to release them at the end of the day. But I just want to read you a couple of things that our community wrote on their paper. Stuff they're releasing to God. The guilt, self-hatred, and unforgiveness I have about myself for the actions and decisions I made. This is the kind of stuff that people are surrendering in our community. Future, my dad, my mom, my purpose, this season, my future, my job, my children. I am holding on to the past very closely and it is limiting my progression moving forward with my career. I'm worried about 
a committed relationship or committing to a relationship, my children, my future, and they name the names. And then this one little one here just all rolled up. I had to unroll it. <laughs> it was so rolled, and it just had two little things. It just said grades. A child, a student saying, I worry about my grades. What do you have that you're holding that you place in this ark? Here's what we'd like you to do. We'd like you to process that with God, like just wrestle with it, and then write it down on the piece of paper. Just write it down and look at it. And as the team leads us in this song, I'm gonna come up afterwards and lead us in communion. Because what I think we can do is we can have these burdens close to us, but God came to say, guess what? I gave you Jesus for a reason. I gave you Jesus as an option to place your faith and trust. And when you do that, something extraordinary happens. And so we're gonna take communion in light of that. But for now, take this in and ask God, what do I have in my hands? Lord, lead us. Thank you for making room and space in our hearts for pushing away these things. Lord, bring our attention to the things that we are holding tightly and give us courage to place them in the ark and let them go. So Lord, speak to our hearts individually and collectively as we move forward in faith with you, Jesus.
at the very core of very core of what we call the good news of Jesus. It says in John 3:16 that God gave his one and only son, that he released, that he opened up, that he shared, that he gave Jesus to the world, released him to the world. That whatever whoever would place their faith and trust in Jesus would never perish but have eternal life. For God didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it. That Jesus came and lived a life and trained a small group of people in his ways. And then ultimately, like we celebrated just two or three weeks ago, that Jesus would go to the cross and give up his whole life for all people, but then three days later rise again in victory over death and saying, I have a way. Place your trust in me. The things that you think you can't hold on to, well, you can't. You're not made to hold on to them. That's why I came. That's why I came for as a living sacrifice. That's why I came to actually give my life so that you have a place that you can actually open up your hands and release them. I think it's 1 Peter 2.9 says that we are to cast our anxieties and cast our troubles upon God. That Jesus came for that. And in the very small upper room, I would imagine with his disciples in their very last meal together, Jesus gave us a ritual, gave them a ritual that would then come down through centuries to us even in this moment. The ritual was now that we call communion. And he broke bread and he said, this is my body. They had no idea the, the, the depth of what he was saying to them. But this is my body who's gonna be given up for you. He would share that. And this is, this is, this is the wine, this is the, the blood that's gonna wash over. And it says in scripture that Jesus' sacrifice washes over us and makes us clean. That we can come like this to Jesus and he'll actually say, it's okay, cast your burdens me and I will wash you clean. I will start you over. I will give you new perspective. A friend of mine always says that Jesus calls us to him and we come to him in those moments and then he lets us see something. It's like that moment that I told you where I was watching my wife and all of a sudden God said, I'm gonna take you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have your kids. You're gonna release them to me and they're gonna go out and do great things too. God's gonna give you something. He's gonna fill this hand. He's gonna give you some kind of way forward in faith in Jesus. And we never know what these little acts of obedience are gonna lead to. And so we wanna take communion in that spirit. And in scripture, it says that in these moments, very much so as we have these pieces of paper in our hand or in our pocket or on our lap, and we have these burdens on us right now, in this moment, it's a moment for us to be quiet and do one thing too. And this is what I try to do when we take communion. Lord, is there anything you need to speak to me? Is there anything that you need to help me through right now? Is there anything I need to confess to you? Say, Lord, here I'm sorry, or Lord, I'm holding on to this. I confess it, I give it to you. I claim that you are who you are and I take the, the bread and I take the wine in that and the juice, in that light and in that spirit. So here's what we'd like you to do. Whenever you're ready, at home, whatever you have for communion in here, certainly we have these tricky little things, you know, they have a small tab on the top that you, you take open and then you have another tab that you can open up for the juice. But when you're ready, when you've prayed through it, when you've talked to God, when he's spoken, when you really feel the presence and you're at peace, take it in that light. Lord, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for what this means for our community.
take this life and breathe on this heart that is now yours. Sing it one more time. You can have it all, Lord. Raise your voices. Every part of my world. And take this life and breathe on this heart that is now yours. Lord, what a beautiful prayer to end with. Take my life breathe on it. This heart is yours, released to you. Father, we ask that you would increase our faith, increase our trust individually, but more importantly, Lord, as a collective community, that we can be released out into the world, Lord. We have no idea what these little acts of obedience will do and how you would take them and use them for your purposes, even within the future. So we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. We thank you for all the things we can't see and all the things that we hope for. Lord, give us confidence in what we hope for, assurance of what we can't see. Lord, increase our faith. We thank you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, We're so grateful to be together, grateful for everyone online. Hey, when you leave here or when you're in in your house, I don't know how you want to do this, but when you leave here, there's going to be baskets. There's going to be little arcs, you know, little baskets in the back. If you want, you you can place your burden right in that basket as you leave this place. Just place it in there. And here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take all those and this week, we're gonna give it to our prayer team and pray over those. So do this uh, this week. Have a great week. Next week, baptism, sign up. We'll see you then. Have a great week. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.